So welcome to Eleven Zers with Danielle Perry, a podcast which highlights the importance of conversation through 11 questions over, of course, a brew. Throughout this series, each of my handpicked guests will answer the same 11 questions as each other as we strive to explore subjects that normal promotional time limits probably would not allow. Today's guest is an absolute joy. I've met her twice very briefly at events in London, and I was so thrilled to get the email confirmation that she could join me today. So my guest today began working life as a teenage fashion model, but books and words were her first love. In 2003, she wrote Sunday Times bestseller, The Man with the Dancing Eyes, an illustrated novella, which she followed in 2007 with her first novel, Playing with the Grown-Ups. A devoted home cook, my guest has also written two cookery books from season to season and Sunday Times bestseller, Miss Dahl's Voluptuous Delights, in addition to writing and presenting two BBC primetime shows about food. She's a contributing editor at Condé Nast Traveller and was a long-time contributing editor of British Vogue. She's also written non-fiction essays for Yes Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, Observer, The Guardian and The Times. She lives in the countryside with her husband, daughter's rescue dog, cat and tortoise. Uh, Madame Badubida is her first book for children. Please welcome to the podcast, Sophie Dahl. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Yes, I'm fabulous, thank you. It's quite, it's quite the introduction and I was so pleased um, that you agreed to do this because we've had very small meetings in the past and I just felt like I wanted to just chat to you more <laughs> about stuff, so thank you. I feel like we've had meetings in dark rooms it's yes, always been very dark. It has, it has. Um, but I've enjoyed it nonetheless. So do you, first off, do you have a brew? I do. I've got, I'm slightly over-caffeinated. So I'm now, I'm now, do, I'm now doing a decaf, a decaf builders. Okay, perfect. That's exactly what I've got, actually. Um, we are recording this in lockdown um, in 2020. So uh, unfortunately, we're not in the same room, but technology allows this to uh, continue. So how have you been uh, coping with the lockdown? All right. Yeah, I think we've been very lucky because we live in the country. So um, we've had access to our garden and um, walks nearby. And I think because my husband and I are both self-employed, we're bobbing along with the homeschool and kind of juggling it as best we can. But no, I think it's, um, it hasn't felt like managing. It's, it's felt at moments really wonderful and then at other moments um like we don't know at all what we're doing and (laughs) and we long for everyone to go back to school we'll start with the 11 questions that we ask every single guest and I find the fact that you've moved around so much um throughout your childhood I please do correct me if I'm wrong as well is it 10 schools living in India, New York and London, 17 different homes. 17 houses, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, my first question to my guests normally is, you know, what's what's your first memory? And I wondered where that might sit in that incredible adventure you had. Um, My first memory is actually quite quite pedestrian, I guess. Um, And it involves driving down to the seaside. My granny, my dad's mum, lived in Angmering-on-Sea, so not too far from you. And um, one of my earliest memories is being in the back of the car, in my car seat, and um, just the journey feeling like it took forever. 
And there was a petrol station that we would stop at that would mean we were about 15 minutes away and we would always get a bag of fudge for my grandparents and I would be allowed a bit of fudge in the back. So my earliest memory is sort of sucking very happily on a piece of fudge in the back of the car, knowing that we were soon going to be there. Oh, nice. Uh, and that is so reminiscent. I read one of your essays on your website um, about your grandmother and going down to near Littlehampton. Yeah. And spending time there. And I can really feel and see the parallels between that and, and the book, uh, Madame Badoubada, because of course that's set by the coast, isn't it? The Mermaid Hotel. Um, she always has a toffee, is it? She always has it. And my grandmother always, oh. had, she always had a toffee or a, um, a Cabri's Eclair. She was one of those grandmothers that had sweets in pots. Um, so there was always a glacier mint or uh, a Cabri's Eclair. Um, and I think Madame Badoubada is is a bit of an amalgam of both of my grandmothers. So I had a brilliantly eccentric American grandmother who had the world's deepest, deepest voice um, and used to call everyone Divine One because she couldn't remember anyone's name. Um, and then my dad's mum, um, who I called Gigi, was a chorus girl, ex-chorus girl dancer, and she was five foot. Um, and so I was always a foot, <laughs> foot taller than her from when I was about nine. Um, <laughs> and I used to wear her shoes as a five-year-old. But yeah, the the two of them... I think, are are to be found in the character of Madame Badoubada, who I feel very fondly about. It did remind me a bit of my grandmother, actually. She was always, like, dressed to the hill, um, you know, full makeup, in- impeccable outfit, real costume jewellery, re- you know, so much makeup. I can't get over it now. What was her name? Vera. Vera is such a good name. It's such good a good name, name, isn't it? It really yeah. is. But yeah, no, it, re- it really did uh, bring it to life. Uh, and I also read um, an article you wrote of your grandfather, uh, Roald Dahl, and you were, you were saying that, I think, I believe it was this essay, because I've, I've read quite a few, I love them, um, all about his red box that would come out after dinner if you'd eaten oh, the, the chocolate box, And, and yes. there was always like a treat and there was always magic surrounding him. Yeah, the, 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 red, the red box was really, it was a Tupperware. It was a, it was a plastic Tupperware box, but it... It contained the essence of all magic when we were kids. So it used to come out after the meal was finished and it had little, those mini dime bars, um, chocolate buttons, uh, dairy milk. um, Trying to think what else. There was always a Kit Kit Kat in there. Um, And you were allowed to, to dip into the red box after a meal. He was a chocolate obsessive. And um, <laughs> but didn't like the cream eggs. I hated cream <laughs> eggs. Hated cream. Actually, I kind of hate cream eggs too. Too much. Yeah. Exactly. Just, it's, the, it's the granular. It's just the idea of egg and chocolate just doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't work. Easter's cancelled. Um, yeah. Forever. <laughs> There's a quote that I see on many things about you online. I don't know if you stand by it, whether it just really annoys you, but um, one that said that you described your childhood as an odd one, but with such magic. Is is that fair to re- rebring yeah, that? Yeah, I'll keep it. Yeah, you keep that one, because you never know, do you, when you yeah. read things. How how was it moving around so much for you? Do you feel it was essential to who you are today? Because it must have had such an impact on you. I think in, in many ways it was, because I think... Um, it's interesting. My siblings and I um, have all stayed in the same place. <laughs> um, and um, I, think, I, I, I think that's probably what we got from it. 
that as children, we had such a nomadic time. And I think actually as adults, we've all been pretty secure. Um, so I would credit my childhood actually with, with giving us giving us that, giving us a, a sense of knowing how to lay down roots and seeing the importance of them. Who's your best friend? So um, my, I've got a couple of oldest friends. So I have Emily, who um, our mothers have been friends since they were 16. Oh, and nice. so I've known Emily since I was born. And our mothers were both... Um, young jobbing actresses when we were little and so they used to share a lot of childcare. Um I famously bit Emily when we were five um because I thought I was the only person who knew the words to when I needed a neighbour. Were you there? Were you there? <laughs> and Emily announced that she sang it at her school and um <laughs> then proceeded to sing it verbatim and I was very, very angry. Clearly felt deep ownership of the hymn. Which is odd, given that I'm an atheist, but um, felt a deep ownership of it and bit her and left. I, I think I drew blood. <laughs> That's one of the best stories I've ever heard. Because it just took me back to school there, because it's quite um, accusatory, isn't it, that song? Were you there? Were you there? It's so accusatory. And also, it's so controversial because it also has it, I was cold I was naked were you there were you there I remember thinking well why were you naked why were you where, there <laughs> where were your clothes what were you doing oh that is hilarious oh that's so funny and so not nice. I've I've found as as a mother now like seeing my friendships it's my birthday yesterday and just getting on the oh Zoom happy call. birthday thanks mate but just getting on a call with my the oldest friends I mean you could, there's nothing like it is there and just sort of growing together and becoming mothers together it's just, it's a very special thing yeah and I think just that language the shorthand you have with with people you've known for your whole life or you know just that when I was little we moved to um America and I don't remember I don't remember living in America because I moved when we were about three and when I came back, um, apparently Emily and I met up in the country and we hadn't seen each other for two years and we took one look at each other and disappeared off into, into the fields oh. um, for a couple of hours. And I, I, I really feel that, that instinctive thing that you can just pick up, uh, pick up where you left off um, with my girlfriend. Yeah, it's so, so special. Yeah. Um, is, there, is there anything that you're scared of? I wondered whether... And I didn't purposely put it in introduction because I didn't want to, you know, sort of the incredible legacy that your grandfather left in terms of children literature to define you in terms of this interview. Um, but did that sort of, did you feel that weight on your shoulders when you were going to go and write uh, children's books? Is there anything that scared you about that? that I think, I think I've really, I've, I've, I've thought about that one a lot. And I think if I allowed, if I allowed that legacy to cow me or if I took on the weight of that legacy I wouldn't get out of bed yeah right. <laughs> I mean um so I think it's one of those things that I've just had to have a sense of humor about and you know I'm lucky that I'm a generation removed um it's I think he 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 occupied such a space of his own and I think the beauty 
of 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 having him in my family is that actually above above all my family's language was the language of storytelling and that's what that that's the legacy I feel that I got rather than a sort of legacy of like oh god I can't I I, I can't do this I can't it's more oh no that's that's how we all communicated we told we told stories and also through adversity we told story you know I think it's a great tradition um in families and cultures that how how do you get through things Mm. you make you make a good yarn of it you know yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Is there anything else alongside that that you're scared of, maybe on the material level or uh, like me? Like, um, I'm, I'm scared. I'm scared of, quite scared of the lack of nuance that I think invades so much of um, interactions with people nowadays. The lack of. Um, discourse and the lack of um I think there's a real there's a real lack of space for people to actually have conversations I think there's so much shouting Mm -hmm. and that frightens me that frightens me that actually people don't have a chance to make mistakes and get things wrong Mm. um and I think that you know when we were young there it wasn't there wasn't social media there wasn't so actually there was a there was the space to to figure things out and i think it's so much less so so much less so now um and i i think that's frightening i think a lack of discourse is really frightening absolutely and and we're speaking now um in a time where it's huge i mean there is so much going on it's, it's a heavy weight around the world right now with with the tragic passing of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matters uh, protests around the world and the coronavirus. I mean, now it now I hope that people they're saying they're going to have the conversation. I really hope that continues because it's essential, isn't it? I think the thing is, I think in order to have the conversation, there also has to be people have to be able to listen. <laughs> and I think I think that's that's the biggest part of it is is um, there's a great expression about having a, a strong spine and an open heart. So coming at something with a straight back and an open heart. And I think that just remaining curious and open and kind of being able to self-examine is, mm. is the key to so much of it. And when yeah. I talk about nuance, I think, you know, what an amazing time this is in terms of um, these things coming to coming to light and actually really having a forum and people having the conversation and my hope is that the conversations keep on you know that it isn't a short-lived it isn't a short-lived thing this could be whether to do with your personal life or or your um, professional life as well but what's what's your ambition sophie I was thinking about that. I was looking at your questions. I was thinking, do, do I have an ambition? Um, I think just to carry on, write to carry on writing books and um, to lead a good life and to be a good enough parent. You know, <laughs> um, it's quite simple, really. Um, to be a to be a good, curious person. 
How about you? What's your ambition? Oh, it's never been pushed back on me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I suppose, I mean, I I find like the older I get, the more content I feel. Because I think um, you really get to know your your own skin, don't you? And your your own way, which is kind of in one of the questions wrapped up later. But I think uh, this... um, this recent pandemic has really put a lot of things in perspective for me, the time at home. And I'm a Gemini, I'm a raging Gemini. So I crave adventure and I crave the beauty of a home as well. So I'm, you know, all over the place in terms of that. But I think really just sort of um, being true to myself, I think. Yeah. Making sure that I'm listening and just not doing everything for everybody else. Making sure everyone's looked after, but making sure that I'm ticking the boxes that need to be ticked as well. It's quite a hard balance. I think that's a good ambition. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no one's throwing that back. Well, I'm prepared now for the next one. Um, while we're talking about that, when you said like keep on writing, is will you, will you be working on a follow up to uh, Madame Badoubadar or or is there a new sort of direction? So I'm, I've just written um, another book which um, isn't Madame Badoubadar related. is is kids um, and is um, probably a bit sillier. When you say it gets sillier, is it quite thrilling to go? Oh, I'm get- you know, when the inspiration fires and your imagination sparkles, is it quite a thrill to go, we're going to go down this route or? It's quite thrilling for me. I don't know how thrilling it was for my publisher. <laughs> it's brilliant to read it. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. Oh, I can't wait to hear that. And, I think my um, publisher, I think my publisher were expecting a Madame Badoubadar too. Right. Okay. More imminently. And I was like, well, I've written this other thing, you know. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. I can't wait. Um, what do you, this feels a bit negative actually, but what do you think your worst quality is? Um, I asked my husband and actually I wrote down what he said so I'm going to tell you because okay. I couldn't I couldn't decide wanton outright rejection of all authority oh okay that's direct and a confident answer isn't it <laughs> did you struggle with authoritative figures in your life when you're growing up or people yes just, people you didn't did. expect telling you what to do um I don't it wasn't as sort of clear as that I think Again, maybe it was to do with moving a lot and just being placed in lots of quite unusual, <laughs> unusual situations. Um, you know, we lived in an ashram in India and um, my mum took us out of school and we then moved to uh, an ashram in upstate New York. And I, I just, um, th- there were many times that I saw things that people who were meant to know what they were doing or who were meant to be in charge make slightly questionable <laughs> questionable decisions um and so yeah I think I, I as a result of that I have a um I have a a deep-seated uh a deep-seated feeling around just questioning authority yeah um that it's interesting and maybe you my my husband grew up very differently to me and he he I sort of always asked well how do you know that it's 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 a it's a it's a very major difference between us um and it's something I'm getting better at but certainly something I really had a problem with when I was a teenager mm, yeah I, I can relate to that I've I tend to really respect people that I do respect and really struggle with the majority of the others <laughs> If I find one person that I just think, oh, you are hugely inspiring. And I, you know, I kind of hang off every word. I'm, you know, I'm there, but like, yeah. But then That's there can not- be a, 
there can be a problem with that, right? Because then you can sort of idealize, you can idealize people yeah. and put them on a pedestal. And then when they fall, you know, which yeah. inevitably they always do because like, they're human. And yeah, that's exactly. crushingly, crushingly disappointing. Yeah, yeah, it is. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, worst quality. It's probably interesting to ask someone that knows you well, isn't it? Yeah. How to do that. Um, if you could go back and give any advice to your younger self, what would that be? Uh, it's really simple. I It would be to trust my gut. Um, I think, again, it goes back to those sort of, those feelings that one has. So say questioning authority, as a as a child or as a teenager you don't really know you just might know that something doesn't feel right but I think there is so much to be said for trusting trusting your gut trusting your gut feelings yeah absolutely do you um do you kind of try and without meaning to pry into your family after do you try and install that into your children as well um yeah I think it's I think it's just good good life advice I think definitely Mm. good advice for your children which is if something you know if something doesn't feel right then really trust trust that feeling yeah Um, and I think as as women often that is not something certainly our generation that's not something I remember ever being ever being taught just so liberating it's one great thing about aging you don't worry about those decisions after and I think you don't you don't worry about offending people because Mm. also that if you're just stating how you feel um and not kind of putting it on someone else or not you know that's just that's that's how I feel then it can it diffuses a lot um and I think again it's it's something we're not we we certainly weren't really taught how to do but I think it's 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 a good one it's a good life lesson that one Yeah, I totally agree. Um, what's your greatest achievement to date, Sophie? I would say um, my family. I really would. Um, I think my family, family and family life. Um, had you asked me three days ago when I was chasing a um, baby blackbird that my cat had mauled um, and calling my cat an arsehole in front of my children. (laughs) (laughs) That would be it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Speaking of which, you've got two rescue cats, a rescue dog and a tortoise. Is that correct at home? That is correct. Yes. And I had a a blackbird for a couple of days. um, (laughs) (laughs) Who has now flown the nest, I take it. The blackbird uh, went to the animal hospital. Oh. Uh, where he's recovering uh, from f- from my cat's uh, interaction with him, um, but there's yeah, there's normally <laughs> there's normally uh, a lot of a lot of different characters in the menagerie. So yes, we have a nearly eight year old tortoise, um, very neurotic rescue dog, and two um, quite murderous rescue kittens. And the did you just say eighty eighty year old tortoise? Yeah. Is that your brother's? Did I read? Yes, but he obviously lived many lives before us. <laughs> so, yeah. so and also along those lines, um, a tortoise takes a, a pivotal role in uh, Madame Badoubada as well. Yes, yeah. Well, I'm, yeah. I complain about our tortoise a lot, but I'm actually secretly very fond of him. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, it's the homage to Torty, who also has the the world's most boring name. <laughs> it was named, may I say, he was named by my brother, not me. 
Oh, nice. I suppose a slow pace watching a tortoise is quite meditative in a way. It's like it's not a to- tortoise is not meditative at all. He <laughs> he runs away often and um, spends a lot of his try- time trying to hump shoes. He's really, <laughs> he's really, gro- he's really gross. <laughs> Um, someone once said to me the key to a happy home is to have animals and a piano so so you're you're sorted at yours then I guess yeah got it got it all do you have any recurring dreams at all um I do I have um a lot of dreams about being on a slightly um, melancholic island uh, that um, that doesn't exist in real life, um, where there's always a big storm going on. There's always I'm always a bit sort of um, there's always something something happening there um, that involves tsunamis or hurricanes or is that. And then there's um, a lot of recurring uh, doors and sort of Alice in Wonderland type trying to fit through little doors. Wow, fascinating. Hmm. I wonder if you'd ever land somewhere on an island and, and feel like there was just a massive sense of deja vu. It was the place. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That would be really overwhelming, wouldn't it? <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen for a while. I don't, well, yeah. <laughs> I don't think going to any islands. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, so you've obviously um, done so many things in your life to date, uh, but when, when was it that you most felt like you? You know, when was it that you were like, I feel... I know who I am. I, I, I would again, uh, I'd say sort of possibly boringly, probably now. I think I, I think this age has felt um, like the most liberating age um, in terms of I feel like I know who I am and I know, um, I know what I want and um, I don't, I don't feel apologetic in the same way that maybe I did in my 20s. You know, it's just, it's, it's, um, it feels, feels quite liberating. It feels like a real relief, actually. Yeah. I'm all, I'm all for the 40s. It's probably going to merge into the answer to this question then, uh, which is when were you at your happiest? Would you say that's now as well? Yeah, I think, I think it's now, but also just, um, kind of hanging out hanging out with people I love you know I'm really happy by the seaside um with my best friend and our kids and sitting on her balcony and having a drink and shooting the shit and you know kind of everyone running around that's 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 where where I really feel at peace I think so nice um no pressure on this one because obviously your husband is um, a brilliant jazz musician as well. But is there a piece of art or music that's changed your life? <laughs> well, again, I've, I've thought about this before we before we spoke, and I think um, it's the song that that we met um, that we met because of. Um, so um, we met at a benefit for the Lavender Trust, where. Um, they invited women who were not singers, who were known for sort of doing other things to to sing. And I um, bizarrely agreed to be one of them. And um, Jamie accompanied me on the piano and uh, I sang, I think it's going to rain today um, by Nina Simone, but obviously written by Randy Newman. And so that song was instrumental in, 
instrumental in I I chose it because it's one of my favorite songs and it ended up um being the thing that introduced me to my husband so wow. yeah that's probably oh, that that's quite emotional I'm that that song must just have such you know, whenever you hear, and there's a few that whenever they come on the radio, it's it's quite a cliche one for me. But Louis Armstrong's "What a Wonderful World." Yeah, I know. You know that kind of record that yeah. reminds my grandmother and stuff. And I have to turn it up so loud when it comes on, like, and you know, unexpectedly, and it's magic, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It really, really is. Um, so that, and then I was thinking about books rather than art, but. Um, I love those I've just started reading a lot of the school of life books Mm -hmm. um replacement for religion and um there's an amazing one on relationships and they're so again I wish they'd existed when I was a teenager because they they're so practical um I've been giving everyone there's a there's there's one called how to overcome your childhood and I've been giving it to everyone and my husband keeps saying to me you can't just give you can't give it to everyone they might be really offended <laughs> I wouldn't know I haven't read it so I want to read it I'll get it I'll, I'll just it. come around to your house and bring it that's that's my current thing <laughs> fine thank you I gave it to a very elderly woman who I don't know and I think she <laughs> she was she's probably like I've been trying to do that my whole life <laughs> but thanks <laughs> really offended oh. yeah Oh, amazing. Amazing. That You must be th- um, really quite pleased to see, like w- with what's happening recently, everyone's sort of going back to their roots a bit more, spending more time in their garden, cooking more. Um, people are going back to their bookshelves, aren't they? And they're sort of yeah. getting back into reading. And that's so important, isn't it? People saving, I mean, where I live, the library's packed, which is always just brilliant to see. But, you know, I think people are suddenly realising the the beauty and, the, and there's, you know, how important books Actual physical book. I think it's that they're, they're, they're all of those all of those things that I suppose we find solace and comfort in. Um, I I started baking up a store. I mean, like the rest of the the rest of the universe, but yeah. just baking like mad the first sort of month or so um, yeah. of lockdown and um, watching um, endless Tiger King and then. <laughs> My husband sort of was endlessly wearing leopard print, so it all got it all got very, <laughs> very weird. Very weird. <laughs> Week three in lockdown. Yeah. C- cosplay at the columns. Yeah, uh, I was Carol Baskin, and he was Joe Exotic. No, it. Um, I think read, reading and cooking. I think you just it's it's. I suppose reaching for those those sort of hearthstones of family. You know, reading and cooking and gardening and feeling feeling cemented in something where everything else feels in such limbo yeah absolutely it's a huge comfort Hmm. Um, well thank you so much for your time Sophie Um, thank you for having me I'll probably see you in September in a darkened room somewhere I hope so yeah we've got to see each other we've got to see each other in the sunlight too (laughs) exactly exactly but I really appreciate your time thanks for taking a look thanks so much Danielle Ah, thank you so much to Sophie Dahl. You know when you meet someone briefly and you know you get on but wonder when that could be? That was exactly what happened really when I met her. It was at the Mercury Music Prize live finale evening at the Hammersmith Apollo where I was on the judging panel with her husband Jamie Cullum and she came to watch all the performances and the winner be announced and uh, we were laughing because I was fearing the worst the next day. 
I knew it was going to be a late night and I promised my little girl who turned three the next morning um, that I'd take her to Pepper Pigwell. So we were kind of laughing about that and she was sharing stories about her escapades with her crew and she was just really, really funny, real and gregarious. So I was, I was so, so thrilled uh, when she agreed to be on this uh, podcast. Anyway, lovely to have her on. Look forward to sharing a wine with her soon. I have to tell you, her writing is wicked if you haven't caught it yet. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. And also, thank you so much for listening as ever. If you enjoyed it, I'd love you to subscribe to the series and rate if you'd be so kind. It's all part of the process. Uh, next week, we have Hollywood icon Jeff Goldblum joining me for a hot beverage and my next set of 11 questions. He is full of wit, witticisms and wisdom. I like this quote by George Bernard Shaw. Mm. Let me see if I can remember some of it. He says, this is the true joy in life. Being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I am of the opinion, he says, that my life belongs to the whole community. And while I live, it's my privilege to do for it whatever I can. Uh, I rejoice in life for its own sake. Life is no brief candle to me. It's a sort of splendid torch that I've got hold of for the moment, and I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to future generations. Mm. That's what he says. So That's well remembered. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe I'd read that to my younger self and say, hey, get a load of this and keep that in your, in your back pocket. Until next week, thanks for listening. <laughs>